0: let's open our bibles to james chapter 4 you know this is a tragic week for us to live in dallas <clears throat> it's going to be a time of mourning this week we've got five funerals one of them will be at preston wood baptist church another one at several of our churches in dallas this week of those fallen police officers who uh were assassinated by a sniper's fire a couple of nights ago in dallas you may have seen our police ch- police chief david brown african-american gentleman on television you ought to know that that's a man who loves jesus christ and who's an active member of tony evans church the oak cliff bible fellowship there in dallas and uh, god is using him to to minister to our city and uh, to bring folks together but you know in the midst of this the the police department at san antonio in the middle of the night last night was which took took bullet fire and shots and it's happening all around our country as uh, as it's such an uncertain world all around us as we gather together to worship today we're we're in the midst of all this uncertainty it's an uncertain world economically Nobody knows what's going to happen economically. The stock market, stock market is so volatile. The European common market is, is uh, dis, disraveling uh, here in America. If you have any money, there's no place to put it and save it. It's like Will Rogers said, it's not the return of my investment that bothers me. It's, re- it, it, it's the return. Uh, it's not the return in my investment that bothers me. It's the return of my investment. You know, we're in a situation where we just, we just don't want to lose any money of what we've worked so hard to gain. It's an uncertain world economically. It's an uncertain world politically. Maybe you've not noticed that here in America lately, but we have two presidential candidates who have the highest unapproval ratings and the most distrust. The more people in America distrust both of them than trust them. And so we're going to go to the polls, and I suppose choose the lesser of the two evils in some ways, some people think. But it's so uncertain politically, not just in America, but all over this world, nations teetering and tottering on the brink with political chaos uh, going on. It's an uncertain world socially. Uh, The racial divide in our country is worse than it was in the 60s. Tragedy, travesty that happened with those two young black men that were Uh, shot and killed this week followed by our five police officers in Dallas Uh, it's just a racial divide it's an uncertain world internationally nations around the the world uh, rogue nations now developing nuclear weapons and ISIS and so much uncertainty all around us and so what do we do in the midst of all this uncertainty if you notice what we do we're pretty good to play the blame game Just turn on television. Democrats are blaming Republicans, and Republicans are blaming the Democrats. Whites are blaming the blacks, and the blacks are blaming the whites. And liberals are blaming the conservatives, and the conservatives are are, are blaming the liberals. And on and on and on it goes. Tolerance is the buzzword in our culture today. But tolerance seems to have a new definition from what it did just a few years ago. A few years ago in America, tolerance was a good word. It meant that we recognized and accepted other people's belief systems and value propositions without accepting them. But today, tolerance means something different. Tolerance means that all value systems and all truth claims are equal. And there's only one element of American culture, it seems today, that people don't tolerate, and that is Bible-believing evangelicals who seeing their religious liberties stripped away one after another after another and so we look around in our culture and one of the problems we see in our culture is that we're always asking what what are we going to do to fix this what are we going to do to fix that what are we going to do about this dilemma what are we going to do about this situation instead of asking why You see, when you only ask what, you're just reacting to everything. When you begin to ask the why questions, you begin to get proactive. I could illustrate this in a a thousand ways. Teen pregnancy has been rampant for the last couple of decades in American culture. But we only ask what. What can we do about it? And so we, we, we give out more condoms in schools. Instead of asking why, getting to the root of the issues of Why so much hatred? Why so much distress? Why so much uncertainty all around us? And that's what James deals with in his little epistle. He's so practical. And he deals with the whys in a crumbling culture. And he identifies three things that are wrong, not just with where he was living, but in our culture today. And that is that too many of us are living with some foolish presumptions. We presume upon things. Believers do. Uh, We're also living with forgotten perspectives. Once we had a perspective on life that seems to be forgotten and forsaken priorities. So listen to what he says in James chapter four, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year and we'll trade, buy and sell and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's just a mist. It's just a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is, you bo- it is as you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows to do the right thing and fails to do it, for him, it's sin. Three, three points about this today. When we begin to stop asking what and start asking why, we'll begin to see that it might be that some of us in this room today are living our lives even though professing Christ as though he were not around as practical atheists with foolish presumptions. Look at verse 13, it starts, Come now you who say. Now that you in the language of the New Testament is second person, singular. James is not addressing a crowd here. James is not preaching to the crowd here. James is not preaching to this group here today. James is preaching to you individually, speaking to you individually. Second person singer, you, he says, come now, you who say. The, the person here is saying, look, look I, 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 today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a city and I'm going to buy and sell and I'm going to make a profit. James is saying to this person who's saying, I can do all this on my own Listen to him. Come now you who say. Anybody here today that just lived this last week as though God didn't exist? You said, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. Next next fall I'm going to do this. Next fall I'm going to do this. Without this little addendum in verse 15, if it be the Lord's will. You see, we too live with foolish presumptions. Here's a guy James talks about who's presuming on four things. First thing he's presuming on is the wind. Look what he says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. He's presuming on tomorrow, on the wind. Now, there's nothing wrong with planning ahead as long as you add if, it, if it's the Lord's will. As he boasted, James reminded him, he said, listen, what's your life? You're saying you're going to go do all this in the future. What is your life? It's just a vapor, James said. It, it's here for a little while, and then it, it vanishes away. You see, our problem is not that we look into the future. It's that we don't look far enough into the future to see that life has an earthly end. And so James says, well, think about it. What is your life? Solomon said in Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day will bring forth. So here's a guy who presumed foolishly on the when. He also presumed on the where. He said today or tomorrow, I'll go to such and such a town. Now he was a strategic thinker. He's not tactical here. He's strategically thinking about what he's going to do. He presumed on the when, today or tomorrow, the 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 where I'll go to such and such a town. Thirdly, he presumed on the what. I'll buy and sell, I'll trade. And then he presumed on the why and make a profit. Now, nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, it's commendable, to be honest. At Guidestone, I, I, in the morning, when I get there, I'll, I'll meet 500 folks that, that, that serve there in the morning. Uh, serving the needs of a quarter of a million pastors and missionaries active in service today and investment needs of universities and hospitals and, and all kinds of Christian mission organizations all over the world and seminaries and all sorts of things. And I will tell you something. I, I'd like to hire a guy like this who's thinking ahead, who's planning ahead, who's strategic in his planning and thinking, who's, who's, who knows how to buy and sell, who knows how to de- deal in business, who, who ha- who's profit motivated, who's, who wants to go out there and do the right thing. Those are all well, but not without verse 15. That's what, that's what James is saying here. In this world, when everybody's asking what and not why, we ought to say, if it be the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will, I'll do this or that. Why why are we having such a cultural chaos? Because many of us are guilty of not consulting God in all of our plans and all of our strategies. And and so we're just asking what ourselves, what are we going to do? Because if you don't consult God, you never get to the why. And so we gaze intently at the news on television and on the radio and on the newspaper in the newspaper, on the internet, and we just glimpse at God. When in the middle of all this uncertainty, we ought to be just glimpsing at all this news and gazing on God to get our lives right, to get the answers right. You know, if I ask you today how many of you believe everything you read in the newspaper, uh, there wouldn't be a hand raised. If I ask you, do you believe everything in the Word of God, you'd all raise your hands. And yet, how many of you this week spent a lot more time reading something you say you don't even believe than you did something you say you believe? See, we live with foolish presumptions. Secondly, James said, there's another thing that's plaguing this culture. And it's not just foolish presumptions, it's forgotten perspectives. Look what he says in verse 14. What is your life? What is your life? What is your life? Think about it. It's a mystery. Here we are from the cradle to the grave, this little, little speck of time in this great expanse that's been going on. And What is, what is your life? Someday somebody's looking at my tombstone. They're going to see my birth date and my death date. And in between there is a what? A dash. What's important is not the time I was born or the time I died. What's important is what's in that dash. What is your life? Look at you. You, you didn't always sit there with arms and ha- legs and fingers and hands and fingernails and hair. you One time you were, one time two tiny specks of protoplasm. came together and connected and you were conceived and and to the unseen eye you began to grow with all the intricacies think about that of a nervous system and a circulatory system and a respiratory system and, and a digestive system and all that's made in and you were born what a miracle what a mystery and here you are today what is your life are you is it you just going through life or do you understand that there's a purpose there's a reason for you being here that that god knows your email address he knows your phone number he knows your, the hairs of your head is numbered not counted numbered he said what man among you when he's Uh, sees a sparrow when he falls, how much more do I care for you? What is your life? What is your life? See, life has its uncertainties. What is your life? You know, the, the seculars has no answer to that. What is your life? But you know what God has instilled within the heart of every one of us? A longing for something beyond this life. We've always had it. God put it there. Sir Isaac Newton, whose mind could, pre- pre- could, could conceive of the most profound truths as easily as you and I could, could say our ABCs, said, I'm just a little boy standing on the shore picking up a few small pebbles of truth while that vast ocean of truth lies unexplored before me. Think of the mysteries yet to be unraveled, the riddles yet to be solved. We need heaven, and heaven alone can finish out what we must leave unfinished here. We're not, this is not our home. Our citizenship, the Bible says, is where? In heaven. Where also we look for the Savior. What is your life? Life has its uncertainties. God has implanted in the still, within the heart of all of us, a longing for something after this. Cave men, in excavations, they found in those cave dwellings, pictures on those walls depicting some afterlife those egyptian pharaohs were buried with eating utensils and horses and and chariots and all these things because they believed that they were going to live again somewhere Uh, the american indian had their happy hunting grounds where they believed they were going to live again god instilled this within us We even go to the extent of cryonics. Down where I pastored for 15 years in South Florida, there's a big cryonics institute down there where when people die, they freeze themselves, hoping that someday a cure will be found for their disease and they can live again. The great baseball player, Ted Williams, is in one of those down in Miami right now. Because we have this longing for a life that's beyond this one. And James says, what is your life? And then he answers. He says, it's a vapor. It's a mist. It's here for a little while and vanishes away. My mom used to make tea on the stove and she'd put that kettle on there and, and that steam would come up out of that kettle, that mist, that vapor, and that steam would come up in about 12 or 18 inches and it'd just be gone. James said, that is like your life. It's a vapor. And David, the psalmist, put it this way. David said, oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely nothing, that, uh, surely for nothing there in turmoil. A man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather it. What is your life? You know, a few years from now, everything you own, Every property you have, every asset you have is going to be in somebody else's name. You're not taking anything with you. You came into this world naked. You're going to leave that way in a casket sometime. What is your life? Here, people live without ever thinking about this with forgotten perspectives. But life doesn't just have its uncertainties. Life has its certainties. And life's greatest certainty is it's going to have an earthly end. As James says, it vanishes away. Oh, we're prolonged to make it look as good as it can and prolong it. We eat vitamin-enriched foods. We exercise. We work out. We, We color our hair so we don't look that much older. Maybe we get a little plastic surgery, shoot a little Botox. All in hopes that we're going to extend But every one of us have an appointment. God said the days of our lives are already numbered. And all of us need to understand that what is your life? Nothing will keep a single one of us from that appointment already out there on God's calendar. My wife, Susie, and I travel the Middle East a lot. And there's an old Arab proverb that they use a lot in the Middle East. It's about a merchant in Baghdad. In ancient times and the merchant sent his servant down into the marketplace one day to pick up some supplies and and the merchant came running back to the house a short time later trembling afraid scared shaking ashen faced and the merchant said what happened he said I was down at the marketplace and I was in the crowd and I was jostled by somebody in the crowd and I turned around and it was death and death looked at me and made a threatening gesture and I ran he said master let me borrow one of your horses and let me flee to samara and the merchant gave the servant one of his fastest horses and the servant fled to the city of samara that afternoon and drove into the night to spend the night in samara later that afternoon the merchant himself went down to the marketplace and in the midst of the crowd, he too saw death. And he went up to death and he said, Death, why did you frighten my servant? Why did you make that threatening gesture? And death said, oh, I didn't mean to frighten him. That wasn't a threatening gesture. I was shocked. I was surprised to see him here in Baghdad for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara." We all have an appointment in Samara. So don't live with foolish presumptions or forsake or forgotten perspectives. What is your life? Don't be asking what, being asked why. You're here for a purpose. And then there's a third and final thing James says. He cautions us to be careful to not live with foolish presumptions or forgotten perspectives. And thirdly, forsaken priorities. Listen to what he says in verse 15. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. For whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. You ought to say, if the be the Lord's will. I once heard of a preacher like one of these old gentlemen we saw in a video a while ago, who pastored a little church out on a crossroad gravel road. little parson sitting right next to it. One morning early, he was out there in the churchyard, and and a fellow came by on a motorcycle and stopped. Said, hey, preacher, and they began to talk. And and the preacher said to him, where are you going? He said, preacher, I'm going into town uh, to sell this motorcycle. And the preacher said, you know, son, you ought to say what James said in chapter 4, verse 15. You ought to say, I'm going in to sell this motorcycle if it's the Lord's will. And the guy laughed at him and mocked the preacher and scoffed at him, said, oh, preacher, you're so old-fashioned. Got on that motorcycle and drove off down the road. L- that evening, about dusk, the pastor was sitting on his porch at the parsonage right next to the church. And he's looking down that road, and, and way down that road, there, there was a man looked like he was drunk. He was just staggering from one side of the road to the other. And as he got closer, the, the preacher noticed that his, his shirt was ripped off, and, and, and his pants were torn in shreds he his arms were bloody he had a makeshift uh, sling on his right arm his face was bloody his eye was black and blue and closed and he was disheveled and he was just staggering down the road and as he got closer he noticed it was that boy that he'd seen earlier in the morning and he ran off the porch and ran down to meet the boy and he said what happened to you he said preacher when i left today there came a big old thunderstorm on my way to town and he said, "I tried to outrun it, and I came around the curve, and I, my motorcycle slipped on some gravel and it went out from under me, and I slid about a hundred yards, tumbling and tossing on my face, and it just tore me all up all over, it cut me all up and busted me was all, I was so torn, my clothes were almost torn off, I was bleeding I was I was battered I was And and, and he said, I got up and I saw a farmhouse and I thought I'll I'll seek some help there. And he said, I was walking up that farmhouse and I must've looked so haggard that a lady came out of the front door of the farmhouse with a shotgun and she started shooting and I started running. And he said, I saw a briar patch there. And he said, I just dove into all those briars and thorns and I clawed myself and I, I crawled on my belly out through them and, and, and got cut up all in them. I came into a clearing and I saw a tree. He said, then it started raining. So I went over there and sat under that tree, started picking the buckshot out of my backside when lightning struck the tree and knocked me completely out. And he said, I, I was out. I don't know how long I was out, but I came to and And I, and I just started walking and here I am. And the preacher said, well, wh- where are you headed? And, he, and the kid said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to my house if it be the Lord's will. <laughs> so you see, you ought to learn that lesson. We ought to live our lives. That's what James is saying. Not presuming, but we ought to live our lives if it be the Lord's will. If it be the Lord's will. Not with all these forsaken priorities. James is saying, get your priorities right. Stop asking what? Stop, start asking why. You know what? I, I watched those two young black men murdered on the video. And I know all the evidence may not be in, but I saw what I saw. And I heard people saying it was a tragedy. It, was, it wasn't a tragedy, it was a travesty. It was a travesty. And I, I saw those in my city, those police, and I know so many of them so personally, the chief. I saw them helping a bunch of peaceful demonstrators be gunned down. The police went out that night to try to not agitate. They didn't have on any body armor. They didn't have any of that stuff on. And that sniper took advantage. And I see this world in which we're living and I've been listening to the news and all I'm hearing people talking about what we ought to do, what we ought to do and not why. Why is this happening? What would happen if you and me individually We really got right with Christ. And we began to see this world through the eyes of Jesus. You know what? We wouldn't be seeing rich people and poor people. We wouldn't be seeing white people and black people. We'd be seeing people like Jesus sees them. We'd be loving people like Jesus loves them. That's what James is saying. Stop asking what? Start asking why? What is the will of God? God's will. Paul was consumed with it. Paul said in Colossians 1.9 that, that, that he prayed that he would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That's what I want. I want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will to do the right thing in the right time in the right way. Over, over and over. In Acts, in Corinthians, in Romans, Paul is always uh, saying something. Then he's adding what James is saying here. If it, if it be the Lord's will if it be the Lord's will. True success in life is to find the will of God for your life and to do it. To do it. Too many of us live with these forsaken priorities and we just live like this guy James is talking about. We do all our planning. We know what we want to do tomorrow. We know what we want to do next year. We know what. without ever consulting him, without ever putting the Lord's will into play. But James finally is not only talking about God's will he's in forsaken pride, he's talking about God's way. James is waving a warning flag here in verse 17. He's saying, For you that know what to do, know to do the right thing, but you don't do it, James says it's sin. You know, 99.9% of the time we talk about sin, we're talking about sins of commission. But what about these sins of omission? To those of us who know to do right and don't do it it's sin for those of us who need reconciliation with somebody we know it but we don't move an inch to try to get reconciled to a brother or sister it's sin to those who know to, you know if you if you miss heaven you're not going to miss heaven because the sins a commission Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're going to miss heaven because of sins of omission. Knowing what to do and not doing it. Knowing that God is not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. Knowing that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And he wants to come into your life. And yet you're not opening your heart to him. Forsaken priorities. Priorities. If you're among those who think there's always going to be adequate time to get right with God, James has a word for you. What is your life? You know, every one of us in this room, as I close, every one of us are one heartbeat away from eternity. Put your hand on your heart for just a moment. I want you to do it. Just put your hand on your heart and feel it. Feel it beating I want to tell you something. Think about this. It hasn't missed a beat since you were in your mother's womb and God formed it. It's been beating. Keep your hand on it. Listen to it. Hear it. Feel it. You go to sleep at night. You don't ever think about it, but it's beating. It's beating. You drive down the street. You go to school. You go to work. You you never give it a thought, but it's beating. It's never missed a beat since you were in your mother's womb. And one of these days, it's going to beat one last time. You're going to gasp one last breath. And you know what? At that moment, as James talks about here, it's not going to matter who you know. It's not going to matter how high you've climbed in worldly circles. It's not going to matter how many goods you've been able to accumulate. It's not going to matter where you lived. Uh, It's not going to matter whether you ate right or didn't eat right. Uh, It's not going to matter any of those things. It's not going to matter if you slept on a beauty rest mattress every night. It's not going to matter if you were buried in a mahogany casket and placed in a cemetery as beautiful as a botanical garden. What difference does all that make if you rise up in judgment to meet a God? you do not know what's your life it's a vapor appears for a little while and vanishes away is the will of God being done in your life don't live with foolish presumptions add that phrase if it be the Lord's will don't live with forgotten perspectives What is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little while. And don't live with these forgotten priorities. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Look at the cross. And when you look at the cross, the question isn't what. You know what it is? Why? Why the cross? And the Bible gives us the answer. God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took your, he died your death so you could live his life. He took your sin so you could take his righteousness. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. This very day, you can begin the great adventure for which Christ created you to begin with to know him in the intimacy of father and child and have life, not just eternal life, yes, but abundant life. What is your life? It's a vapor, appears for a little while, vanishes away. Don't boast about tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time.